I will feel like if I don't change, I'm I feel like I'm dying inside, which is worse. Yeah. So it's that kind of feeling that say, no, I need to change. Hello, everyone. My name is Farhan, and I am Anna. You are listening to the lessons we learned, where we dive into the lessons that Asia's best and brightest business leaders have learned in their lives. In this episode, we have Leonika in the hot seat. Leonika is the founder of Leonika K Trichology. It might be old school, but Leonika has quietly grown the business into a giant in this niche field. Thanks for coming on to the lessons we learned, Leonika. Let's dive into it. Leonika. Mm. Can you tell me what your growing up years were like? I have some memories about my uh, few years younger day in Indonesia, uh, in a very small village, and um, I'm always like playing around. So I fell into the well, you know. And I remember that. That's the only memory about Indonesia. Then I f- my father brought the whole family to Singapore when we were quite young. I think when I was five. So. Went into school. School wasn't fun. I didn't really like school until maybe primary three. So we've been moving around quite a bit, lah. And then I'm the kind of person that likes to play. So after school, back one side, off I run to the street playing with the um, people who whoever lah, catching and all that kind of thing. So those those were my uh, childhood time. Yeah. Do you remember when you came to Singapore? This I was, was about five years old. Oh. So what? My brother was born in Singapore. So um, he was born in 1967. So must be just before, yeah, before that. So your younger brother? My young brother, yeah. yeah. Oh, you don't look a day above 40. I'm yeah. 60. Yeah, you really don't. You look very young. Thank you. <laughs> so I always feel like um, for every kind of business person or entrepreneur, mm. there is something that happens in their childhood mm-hmm. that shapes them to be who they are today. Mm. Do you remember any particular incident in your childhood that you, you know, it, it sticks out in your mind that made you who you are today? I can't remember that, but in the process of me trying to look back the to what happened and why it ended up today, doing what I do and what doing what I really enjoy doing, um, and want to continue for many more years is that I think I'm more really a uh, creative person, fun-loving. So I realized that when I finished my A-levels, went into a desk-bound job and I could do it, but I wasn't driven. I was like, okay, trying to make, maybe get more qualifications so I can go higher, but I wasn't really like looking forward to doing all the job. Then... Um, so it was I'm very much like a drifter hmm. I, I really don't know what I want to do well, I, I don't you know, in a school day they will always ask you okay what do you want to be when you grow up and then you're always trying to find the right answer you know be an engineer teacher or, you know something noble kind of thing but that was just giving a right answer that's all but you don't really know what is uh, the job uh, the career really and so try out. I tried out a few things, and and uh, okay, you just need to do a job because you need the money. Um, so then somehow um, I went to UK 
because I went to a Chinese school when I was young. So everything was taught in Chinese, and then when I went into my junior college time, the system changed, and I have to do everything in English. Then it was really a very difficult time because my English is like that, and I have to understand um, a certain subject like science and. Uh, All the chemistry, um, even the name or the term itself, I couldn't really quite figure out what it, it meant. You know, so so the whole of my junior college years were really a blur and like struggle. Uh, yeah, so I think the only thing I can do well was my math because you don't really need so much <laughs> language. Yeah, so so when I finished school and then when I went to work, I really struggle and I think yes, I have to better my English. Otherwise, I cannot, I cannot survive. So it was with this that I went to night schools and all that. Then one day, uh, some of the night school friends told me, "Hey, you can you know do this uh, continuity study in in UK. They do this uh, diploma courses." And I I don't know why the the UK uh, school they provide they call it tuition free. You only need to pay for your accommodations and expenses, ah. So I applied and then I got it. Then I say, okay, I must go. Uh, for myself to really immerse in the English speaking environment, so that I can improve. Yeah. So when I went there, I don't go along with my uh, Malaysian friend or Singaporean friends. I I, I stay with a English family and uh, trying to really get myself to feel more comfortable. Mm. Yeah. And then it was during that. Period that I chance upon hairdressing, because at that time the Vida Sassoon era was very big in UK, mm. very fashionable, very um, uh, glamorous, and I uh, finished my business diploma, and then saw the cosmic went into doing MBA and other studies. Ah, so my landlord was a typical British. Guy, and then he said, "Why do your people collect one paper after another?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah." So it started me thinking, and then I was talking to people as well. They say, "It's true, you know, when you have no actual experience in your managing like a company, and then you you have an MBA, and when you apply for a job, people don't know where to place you. You are overqualified in terms of your paper, but then you don't really have the ex- actual experience itself." So being away and uh, not having too many restrictions of decision making, because my parents will kill me if they think I'm going into doing hairdressing. So I actually went into doing a full time hairdressing course, um, and that's when I exposed myself to this uh, trichology, because the principal in the hairdressing school. Um, Uh, told me, he said, "Hey, you are quite academic because hairdresser really is meant for people who are like mm-hmm. you can't make the grade and then you go to do hairdressing. Uh, that you pick up a skill. That's why with all this mindset, when I initially went into hairdressing, all the people are like shaking their head. What are you doing? Why? You know. So it's that good thing is I'm away, so I don't hear all these noises. Ah, mm-hmm. so it's just did it and finish and then." 
knowing that, oh, okay, there's this scientific part of uh, hair called trichology. It's available in the UK. And then I came back to Singapore, worked with a big international hair company uh, because I have both uh, academic and the hairdressing background. So I was actually serving the hairdressing divisions, going to different salons, teaching them how to use the chemical, how to use a bleach without damaging hair, how to apply a certain chemical without really uh, compromising the hair. So so I had the few years. And then that's when I started to feel that there's this gap because um, having um, so much contact with the general public because we were doing a lot of training courses for hairdresser coming to teach them how to perm hair. We also deal with models to uh, demonstrate on the hair and then we were selling products to people to say, oh, okay, that time I think uh, is the beginning part of um, hair spa. When yeah. was that, like 20 years ago? Yes, mm. because my business is 25 years. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it was during that time, so maybe 30 years ago, mm. they started to feel like, okay, there's other services that they can add on uh, in the hair salon. So we were introducing hair spa to hair salons to teach them what to do with maybe a simple treatment for antidandruff or for um, dry hair. And so we were selling this range of product to them and then telling them you should do this, 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 and then you can see the results. And then after selling it in, the hairdresser come and say, hey, I follow all your instructions, but it didn't work. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, let me go back to ask my boss. And then when I got the answers, I'm not quite convinced myself. So that's when I started to think, okay, maybe I want to go back to UK to learn trichology because I want to know um, the actual uh, reason behind a certain thing like, you know, and dandruff. Why do you have dandruff? Can it be treated? You have hair loss. Can it be treated? So I want an actual um, unbiased answer. If Yes, okay. If you cannot, no, okay. Yeah. So that's when sort of it motivated me into doing uh, trichology. I wanted to... So you mentioned when mm. you were in the UK, mm. you didn't tell your parents that you did hairdressing. Mm-hmm. So what did you tell them? Um, I think they didn't really quite ask me what I was studying and doing. They were just making sure that I'm okay. Oh. Then only when I came back to Singapore, then they realized that I actually spend one year doing that because when I came back I was deciding whether I should do my hairdressing or I should go back to desk job so I was looking around mm. then they were realizing that why what did you why did you do you know it's like yeah do so, you do you feel like because mm, in the past it was very hard for children to rebel against their parents mm-hmm, right? so yes. wh- why, why do you feel how how do you how did that make you feel? And if, for example, because you were sharing that you have kids, mm-hmm. you know, if do you tell your kids that you know, okay, you need to be this or that, or do you let them do what they want? I, I think growing up time, I realized that it's like uh, at a certain age, as a girl, parents always set a curfew. You have to be home. Mm-hmm. What eleven? You cannot pass twelve. You know, so otherwise they try and lock the door, trying to <laughs> warn you, lah. <laughs> la. So. 
and the parents always like to tell you it's for your own good and it's stuck in my mind no it's for you not for me no always <laughs> this kind of feeling yeah so 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 for me i think things only sink into my mind when i when you go through a certain process and i realize no 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 you say this is like like you know you want me to study uh, whatever whatever it's like for your own good sometimes I say are you sure it's for my good it's, or is it for you to feel good with the neighbours the you know comparing oh your kids study better or mine you know kind of thing because they like to do that and I was lucky maybe in the sense like I didn't have to try too hard I could get my grades quite well lah. so but then when I think I heard it from maybe my sibling that when my parents are even comparing, like, your chete is doing better, you know, you do it. So, so it actually makes them feel not so good. So I, I, I just feel that one day when I'm a parent, I want to be really letting my kids do something that they, they, they like or enjoy doing than doing, being told and, and really force them to do something that, you know. So that was how the thought process and how I become like, so I may be a little bit rebellious inside me <laughs> somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and how would you describe your parenting style? Myself. Yeah. Um I I, I think I realized I have to learn uh, along the way. Um my daughter is older, my son is two years younger. So I have more time spending I I spend more time with my daughter because the first one and you read about how to make sure the kids doing well. So I would sit in the car, um, flip through maybe some charts or cards to teach her about car, la, apple, you know, syllabus. <laughs> so you spend more time and it seems like they, they do pick up. Then when, but my son, the, when I gave it to my son, my daughter was still like one and a half, two year old. Mm. Then very hard to divide. And then she would have, she would want to have more attention than the baby because the baby wouldn't know anything so mm. I tend to spend more time with my daughter la. and then um, and also I think as a mom you you start to worry about your children as they grow and uh, especially teenager time then you realise that you cannot be a parent you have to be a friend because mm-hmm. as a parent they wouldn't talk to you and even though it's very difficult to say be, being in their world when they are teenager, but it's better than that they realize that you are there by their side. Lah. You're willing to listen to them even though maybe uh, they will still prefer their friends. Mm. Yeah. And I think when they were growing up, I, I spent time with them during their younger day, uh, sitting with them, going through their homework, uh, guiding them kind of so that uh, I think when they were at maybe primary three, then I start to let them do their own thing. Um, I'm the kind that uh, don't really want them to, uh, I don't really want to push them too much. Mm. And so they have no tuition or additional curriculum thing until I say, you tell me if you need it. If you don't need it and you're doing okay on your own, then just go ahead. Yeah, so I'm that kind in that I, I'm i kind of more chill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I can really see um, it's just very different parenting style. Some of my 
friends or clients will take leave and accompany the kids when they are going through exams. I don't. I'm at work. <laughs> so how do you juggle growing your business with taking care of the kids? And also, just just to add on to Farhan's question, I think you went against the grain because a lot of women in your generation were homemakers, but you actually set up your own business. Mm-hmm. So what gave you the confidence? Um, like I said, I'm like a drifter, really. <laughs> so it, it was... Um, I, I realized that I cannot be a homemaker when I gave birth to my daughter. Um, I was in UK... Uh, doing my last trichology exam paper. Then we stayed on for a few months and that during the few months I realized that I was I mean I, I can't I can't work and was looking after her full time, breastfeeding, nursing, cooking and I felt very lousy and I, then I know I cannot be a housewife. I have to work. And so when we came back to Singapore and started working and then I have my son. Yeah. So yeah. So I was working for a while because um after I finished my trichology training, I wanted to be I wanted to set up a trichology center, but there was just quite many Issues, I think, like where, when, how, um, and the thing is, I need products as well. So, having the knowledge, but need to find the right place and all that. So it took me a while, and then, um, I, I was quite lucky that somebody was looking for trichology. Um, that was the time when spa becomes very popular. Yeah, so I work for a spa that has all these trichology services for six months. And that was when I realized that, yes, it's something that I can really do and can really do well. So I had that six months of hands-on experience, not at my expense. Because <laughs> it's scary when you came out and then knew and having to try on your own. Yeah, so, so in the six months time, I really can see... Um, clients that I uh, consulted with and and through the time when I can see some improvement results. So that is important. You know that uh, something is working. So that is uh, when I decided that, yeah, it's about time I can start doing my own business. And yeah, juggling between family and business really feel quite draining. Um, time is one element and also being in uh, it's a retail practice so it's like a 24-7 kind of thing and then having to think of how to then uh, get to know get client to know that you're existing and um, so the advertising and all that so so a lot of really a lot of learning curve a lot of on the job uh, learning and then I would finish off work. Uh, we finished like 7.30. You know, that was the time I set uh, for my practice. Rush home, have dinner, then spend time with my children, with their homework, and then um, get them to 
shower and then put them to bed because they're very sticky still. They want mummy. <laughs> mummy then can put them to sleep, that kind, yeah. So it was a bit hard, but I guess maybe because a... The, f- the business itself is something which is something that I have a lot of passion and I feel that it makes a difference to people. Yeah, it's not just a business, but uh, it can really help people with hair and scalp issues. And the hair and scalp issue is pre- pre- pretty underestimated. When you have a hair loss issue, it can be very devastating to the person. And you can be going to a doctor, but... I think it's with the medical side, the doctor feels like hey, it's not life-threatening. Uh, okay, uh, no problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some days feel like, no, uh, you're okay, you got a lot of hair. Leh. So, <laughs> I still, you know, so and because also the thing is they don't have a solution for you as well. So, they really can't help you. So, they can maybe just see you and that's it already. Um, so, then the trichology part comes in uh, and, and really help people with their issue which is emotional psychological and physical as well yeah so so that part i feel that it's not just a job that i'm going to so i could just continue like i can go to work 24 i mean seven days a week fine no problem yeah yeah so there's only time where it's like holy holiday i know like it's okay i go to work (laughs) yeah because my own practice i have to be there I'm the only, say, I'm the only trichologist and, and clients who comes in with a specific question, they want to ask why and how and um, how long does it take for me to see some result or recover or something, you know. So it was important that I'm always around. Yeah. I want to thank our sponsor for this season, Leonica K Trichology. I've been to one treatment and it's one of the best pampering sessions I've had. The hair massage is divine and the products are formulated by Leonica herself who has over two decades of experience in trichology. If you're looking for a solution to your hair problems, whether it's an oily scalp, postpartum hair loss or dry hair or just want to treat yourself to self-care, I highly recommend Leonica K. The boutique is at Vocal Hotel and you can check them out at leonikak.com. The link is also in the show notes. I notice, if I may be blunt, mm-hmm. I notice you didn't mention your, uh, or well, you didn't mention the children's father. Yes. Uh, was he around? Was he present in their growing up years? Yes. Um, when I was setting up business that time, uh, he was the one actually helped, sort of like, sort of like pushed me to, to do. And uh, then we... The, the marriage actually didn't... We actually, we, we went through a divorce for some very personal kind of like issues. Lah. Yeah. So then um, I spend, I still spend a lot of time with my kids to make sure that they are not so affected. And then, yeah, so I didn't really quite uh, bring him into the uh, business because business itself is very much on my own uh making my own decision, running my own thing, uh, having my own view uh, as to how I should do it and whether to grow it or to continue doing. And yeah, so it's, yeah. Where do you get this drive, right? Like, 
you have two kids. I mean, I think they're around my age, right? If I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, 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 no. Oh, I thought you said it. Oh, that time, uh, yeah, time, when they yeah. were going through the teenager time. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, my daughter is 28. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Younger. Maybe younger. <laughs> not, yeah, not, yeah, not yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, raising two kids, doing mm. a business, and I guess raising it as a single mother, and I understand how difficult it is because I was... You know, I was from a single uh, uh, parent family. Age, at what age did you separate? Uh, I think they were... My daughter was probably about 11. Mm. My son was about 9. It was a very hard decision. It was like at about 12 years of the marriage and I was like, I think, I think it's better for me to, you know, um, separate and... Uh, better for the children as well because how my emotionally feeling I think they would feel it too mm. so better to have a maybe happy mommy than in the situation where I feel very stuck lie very sort of like stuck and so that decision making I think that was my hardest decision making time to say I think the marriage has to end then we have to go separate way um I was hoping that everything else still remain, like the children not being affected so much. Um, I don't want to fight about anything. And um, so I wanted it to be a very amicable kind of like parting. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't easy because even for my parents, they were like saying to me, it was a perfect marriage. There wasn't anything wrong. Why do you want to, you know, uh, and, and I'm the one that is making the move decision there I think I can't continue with uh, the marriage ah. so my parents were really against it and they were like pushing me to care hey please play please but I think we went through few years of counselling as well and at the end of the day I learned something from the counsellor as to say you have to admit your own emotion you cannot just say okay let's go back because everybody expects you to then you are uh, just postponing the issue maybe. And so I guess that sort of like helped me to eventually say after maybe three years of seeing different sets of uh, counsellors to say, I think that's my decision. I have to face up to what I feel and uh, finally say, yeah, that's a quit. Somehow I feel that it's an internal voice or feeling to say, hey, you have to do it otherwise. Um, that because at one period I was feeling a bit like day in, day out, day in, day out. There's no existence. So there's no meaning kind of thing. Yeah. So why life? Why, you know? So the why thing that, that comes in. Uh, yeah. Have yeah. you found your why in life now? Not really. So, so, <laughs> so it's very funny. It's like you're going through process of very tough time. Then you... Uh, putting yourself into really lots of thinking and then you realise that even if you find why or some answers um, is that important? Actually no. It's how you move on that is more important and maybe find a certain certain calm, certain contentment and all that. That's more important than yes, why I'm here, you know. Um, because I'm not so spiritual. I'm more towards maybe the Taoism or Buddhism kind of thing, the thinking, the philosophy that, okay, we're here. You don't ask to be here, but you're here. So it's important to know why because if you keep digging, 
you may actually find yourself very tangled as well. So, okay, we're here. Um, just make every day pleasant and, you know, you wake up and you can smile and you are looking forward to a day. Because like, you don't know when it's going to end. It is going to end. Yeah. <laughs> what struck me, you know, so far with your story is mm. I think you're a very courageous person. Mm. You know, you took hairdressing, mm. you did what you wanted and then you left a marriage that you were no longer happy in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for people that are struggling with difficult choices or difficult decisions in your life, mm-hmm. do you have any advice on how we can make a, a choice that is best for mm. all of us? Yeah, I guess I guess it's hard. I, sometimes I look around my surrounding areas, I mean friends as well, relatives. Um, I find that in in life is very tough. You know, you can have like a partner, you're married to someone, but we all change. Sometimes we change together. Sometimes we change in the opposite direction. So we it's it's very much down to okay your exposure and how you um take a certain value in a certain way, kind you know, so it's like for example, I with my daughter, um, she was doing quite okay in school, primary one to primary three, she's doing okay. She's like maybe the first three in the class without going tuitions and doing just her own work. And then she got a top girl that is very consistent, doing very well. And then the girl, the top girl is like, if she get 99, she'll get scolded. So for me, it's a no. It's 95, okay, good enough on your own, kind of like married. But then my ex-husband would say, Maybe you can get her to do a bit more um, pass your questions or things and she can get better. But to me, it's, like it's a long process. If I want her to go on and being still interested in the school until uni, it's going to be a very long journey. And then if at this young age, you start to give them lots of pressure, um, I find, for me, la, I find it not necessary. Maybe let her have a bit of fun on the side kind of thing. So it's very different. So maybe from different, different thing. And if uh, you can, you can agree to disagree, but in a certain way, it's very hard. Lah. So you may move towards two different directions. And I know people maybe stay in the relations for all various different and very different reasons. Um, live separate life maybe, you know, mentally. Yeah. But it's a choice because it's true. Choosing to break the, the normal, the norm, is harder than just stick with it. That, that was what I almost did. Because everybody expects you to do, then it's easier you do it, so nobody say anything. And then you just decide maybe you do something else behind. Yeah. So it's just a decision. And uh, But how do you find the courage to make that decision? I don't know. I just feel I will, I will feel like if I don't, change I'm I feel like I'm dying inside which is worse yeah so it's that kind of feeling that say no I need to change just, just like when I went to England actually because we came from a very humble family because my father brought us all here in Singapore and then uh, he was trying to do some kind of business but he couldn't fail so then he decided okay then need to feed I think five of us yeah so my mom even have to help out and work in the shipyard. Actually, they were involved in that big explosion, uh, mm. spiral, the shipyard explosion quite quite badly. So a lot of people died during that time. They, luckily, they were okay. 
So uh, when I couldn't quite make the grade to go university because it was so hard for me during my A-levels. Uh. So then um, uh, I have to... So it's like, okay, you cannot do... Then you, you work, uh, okay? So we start working and help out in the family. So when I got my... This uh, application to go to UK, I don't, I cannot find money, cause I can only save a little bit of money here and there. So I couldn't have enough money to show it to the British government because when you apply for a student visa, you need to make sure that you have approved to say you can have enough money. Like you are not going there to find job. Mm. Yeah. So then I was like, what do I do? Huh? I can't go. Uh, I was lucky because one of my secondary school classmate yeah he was very kind he knew that i was like wanting to go but can't go and then he called me and said hey uh i lend you the money la. i said no la is it because my his father had a pot of like i think a farm ah. then at that time the Singapore government trying to relocate so they uh they pay the money to all this farmer to vacate the land so they can redevelop like so on block, yes, like on block, <laughs> yeah. So the father distributed money to yeah. the different the, the children lah. So he said, "I got this money, but I'm not using it at the moment. You take it, and you return me when you come back lah." So I like okay because I really wanted to go. So 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 he really was very helpful to then no no condition nothing because we I think we were same class for quite many years. So oh. there was sort like certain trust lah. So he helped me to be able to go to UK to fulfill, you know, my dream. And so when I was leaving that time, everybody said, are you sure? Because uh, I have never traveled to the Western world. I really no idea what happened there. And then just lock my luggage and one-way ticket and that's it. Yeah. So I was 23, but still sort of not very exposed to the world and anything can happen. Yeah. So look back or uh, during that time when I came back a lot of people say hey, you're very brave to go I said I actually never consider many things <laughs> so just say I just feel I need to do it otherwise this part is going to be a, a lot of struggle yeah it's just maybe the confidence level because the westerner has got many different accents yes. so if I'm not very good in my English I'm like I half understand my bosses you know I'm, a, I'm supposed <laughs> to be I was supposed to be a secretary uh, taking notes and all that I'm like half predicting what's going to happen or, or yeah so I feel strongly that I need to go and make a difference and, and change my life kind of yeah are, are there any decisions that you think you made the wrong decision or that you regret um, I think my kind of character is very interesting <laughs> I don't really look back and regret if something bad happened I say okay it's a lesson in life that you pay and then um, you never know maybe it will come out to be better you know so so I'm maybe a, um, optimist it, internally quite quite la. I yeah. say that about myself <laughs> yeah. yeah so I I like feel okay I mean there are, there are days where, there are things that really happen and you're like Shh. and uh, wish that it, it's not so bad or never happen but I think after that it's like okay how to move on how to you cry you know, I tell people, it's okay to cry. I cry too. I'm a kind of person. When I was younger, my mom kept telling me my nickname cry when baby. I was a baby. Yeah, <laughs> mm. yeah. In, in Mandarin called Ong Ah. 
It's like you cry quite easily. Uh, something news or something, you just see tear rolling down. I like okay, so yeah. So I think maybe that is good in me too. It's like I can maybe release my stress, so I don't build up the stress. And uh, so this is one way I, yeah. Besides exercising to to get all the uh, endorphins, endorphins <laughs> level up, you know, yeah. What are you proudest of? I would think. Mm, now that I have my own line of products, this is really something I, I'm quite proud of. Lah. And going through the product development, then I realized how hard this thing can happen because it took me many years. Um, I'm lucky to start with a very good brand, Philip Kingsley. It's a very premium, very high standard product. So I set my standard very high as well. And then, like I said, I actually brought in uh, ASOP. And I like the product because its quality is very good and very premium and it's uh, something that you can really become like a cult thing la, that people keep wanting to come back and buy more. Yeah. yeah. So reasons I started wanting to branch into my own product is that if you work for uh, a principal or a franchise, every time when you market it goes back to them and then you leave you like zero nothing mm. and uh, so uh, the principle the, the, they can change and they can decide not to sell the product to me one day so come to a point where I see that I want to continue my business for long term and then the only way that I can do it is if I can have uh, control with my inventory. So I went to uh, friends, we have friends in Thailand that they have big maybe factories that produces um care products for the masses. Lah. Maybe I think that time they produce for Marks and Spencer. So they have their own chemists and uh, people who say they can they can reverse engineer. So because I really love the range of product that I'm working with showing the results and all that. So I say, okay, if you can do, can you help me? So I give them the product to try. And when they came back to me with some sample and they say, okay, this is the closest, they change some of the ingredient because they cannot find, so they do that. So they give me samples to say, okay, you test and you see which one you like the best. So going through that, um, you I decide to, okay, maybe pick one that I feel closest, um, a few products and we manufacture and only after maybe six months or a year later then you start to realize that the effect is it equivalent or is it worse so so it took time so after six months one year i said mm, it's not as good so i stick to still with continue with the franchise brand then i realized that it's actually not as simple then few years uh, later when uh, i started to work with my father-in-law he's a very famous dentist and then he's got a very big operation as well and then he's got all his own pharmacy again his doctor and I say hey, hey hey we can we can really we can do it again same thing we went through the same process it can't be done so it's not even like it's a such a basic kind of product but it's not something that you can just say give it to me I can reproduce you can't um, what is the bottleneck because you know the ingredients, right? Yes. Yeah. So then, um, 
I went back to the Institute of Trichologists because we we still attend conferences to uh, improve, upgrade and all that. So I went back to the Institute and said, do you have a, uh, a course that we can go into product development more? And so um, the they referred me to uh, this uh, person. He is actually also a trichologist and then he branched out to be uh, in product development so he formulate uh, products for big company as well so I spoke to him and he happened to work with uh, my principal for many years so he sort of like knew what went on and all that and I think quite different in the sense of like uh after going through the whole process of uh, doing our own formulation, then I realized that, yes, you can have the whole formula or you can have a whole list of ingredients, but the, the percentage itself mm. is different. And if you put this in first or that first, it can also make a difference. <laughs> yeah. So so there are so many things that can actually change the balance. So it's the, it's the balance that is really most important. Yeah, how much surfactant you put in, what type of surfactant you put in, and then like even you want to put a lavender oil it's like how much you put in you put too much the whole thing went cloudy you put a little bit the effect is not the same yeah so it's just this uh, so sometimes when the magazines when they interview me I say hey what ingredients should I look out for then I keep thinking to myself no leh whatever we put in uh, other people also have all these ingredients yeah. but maybe not the same and also maybe not the same kind of like uh a purity uh, so the quality uh, differs as well and I also have clients who said to me hey lavender good nah. then I just put lavender oil lor. you know like that <laughs> so it doesn't work like that lor. yeah so it has to be put into um, say for example if it's shampoo it has to be blend into the shampoo so that it can it can cleanse the scalp well and then it can still leave the benefits of that particular ingredient to work onto your scalp to give you the result that you want. Yeah. So the bottleneck is that it is not about what ingredients is inside. It's about the percentage and how and in what sequence you put in as well. It's, it's just like, like food, cooking. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> you have a chef and then you have you know this, 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 this. Yeah. Like, like the bacha on me, who doesn't know? But you eat it's different. You know? Yeah. So it's very much like that. So so it was a very sort of like fun and challenging process that we went through so many years later then when we a um, uh, good thing for me is because I've got clients and friends I just give products to them and say you try and then you give me feedback and then when they say can I buy ah, then you know okay this is working because they feel usually when you use a bottle you will use for a few months then you you will know the expectation is like if the person say they want to buy and after buying they keep coming back to buy and then okay mm -hmm. this is working so it took us a few years lah to say these uh, products are stabilized already we don't need to make any more changes and we're happy with this and uh, then also uh, having this knowledge is, is quite good in the sense of like um, you can then think of what you want to do for what kind of conditions kind of what's next for you and the business um, you know, have you thought about 
you know, succession, mm-hmm. legacy. Do you want to go and retire? <laughs> yeah, and what keeps you going? 25 years is a very, very long time, right? There's always changes, <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. I think the first seven years is quite easy. It's like from zero to grow, it's very easy. Then really? after, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> first time I'm here to grow, yeah. it's easy. Yeah, oh, no. seriously, to me, growing it is not difficult. Maintaining it and then growing some more, mm. that may be dif- difficult. Like, I think when I first brought in ASOP also, ASOP is well known. So, it's to put in the market and just to get people to know, it's not difficult. Then, it's like, what's next? Nah? Uh, you want to have another store? You want to have, you know, something else? So, actually, at one point, just before COVID, uh, right after we have our own production already, we actually engage a consultant company. They were keen. They said, hey, actually, you can grow overseas like, uh, licensing, franchising, things like that. So we have like a whole SOP done. So there were some interested party, um, especially because I I have a, quite a lot of Indonesian clients uh, used to fly down, treatment and all that. Because during before the COVID, it's travel and it's very common. So they were even asking me, hey, if you want to expand, let me know. I'm interested. So we did sort of like a talk, but when COVID hits, like, okay, everything stands still, which I somehow I feel maybe we're lucky in that sense because if we have maybe expanded in overseas, then this is going to be hitting hard both sides. Ah. Yeah. So it didn't happen. And then now that things become a bit more back to normal, um, the retail, I think... And hiring start to be, hmm, I can't get people to work. So so it start. I start to feel maybe I should be concentrate more on my online uh, sales. I think the online sales also started during the lockdown period. You can't open shop. What do you do? Zero business, and then you still got to pay for the staff salary and the rental, the rental and so it's like let's try. So go, on, uh, go online, go live, go to do uh, IG live, talk to people. And then, so so interestingly, it did generate interest. And then there were people start to buy products. So lucky in that sense. Uh. So the two months wasn't so bad. Then we're now reopening, but yet because of the movement in the people, um, getting very difficult. Singaporeans start to change their mind. They want to have five days a week office hour not four days a week yeah I think so too I was just talking to one of my ex staff came back to help me and she's like I don't want to work Saturday Sunday I'm like how are how are my clients going to fit in so we're like okay we try and even hiring Malaysian used to be easy but it's getting very hard now and then if hiring Chinese or other nationality the quota is impossible yeah because I'm still keeping my service I mean my business very small niche which is easy for me to manage and I don't have to worry about you know sleepless night the overhead kind of thing yeah so it's very much like maybe semi-retirement but but I don't wish to go into retirement and I'm hoping maybe my children my daughter she's a doctor so she's thinking maybe she can incorporate um, because when I do um, treatment for clients with Sometimes they have some medical conditions, so the doctor side can come in quite easily, lah. Like 
low in the vitamin D and um, the iron level, you know, so consulting the doctor uh, together with the treatment will be more effective, kind. So my son, he is also helping with my online, he's an engineer. Mm-hmm. So he's helping me to set up the website la, on the back end. So the the uh, ordering, like, you know, 11, 11 is coming. We probably will do some sale and then things like that. So um, so I think next next thing will be how to in, incorporate the, and, and, and really looking into maybe like a global situation of uh, hiring is becoming so hard. Mm-hmm. Then we will just keep maybe one small um, treatment center and then develop more and more products which people can bring home or bring back to their own country and use. And then the online sales, the, the that kind of uh, situation, I think, will maybe work out better. Yeah. So that's the thinking, but right. let's see how how things move. What advice do you have for business owners mm. who are unsure of what to do in the next two, three years? Mm. Yeah, I think it's an issue right now. Everybody, uh, I think all the business people are considering, even my, I was talking to a friend of mine, he's in jewelry. So same thing, uh, Singapore brand doing niche market uh, and uh, very hard for succession because the children are not interested. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, I'm just going to go slow and um, small. I guess maybe for us, we have a niche market. There's always a, a demand, a return uh, a group of clients who can help to support the business. So um, we have actually, uh, right after COVID, we have actually downsized. Mm. So in terms of rental space, we actually go smaller from 1,002 um, treatment center to now maybe like 800 square feet and then because of being so difficult to hire people we have actually kept the overhead a bit uh, lean so we all double up do i can be at the couch cashier and help clients to check out and yeah that that kind um it's never uh in business everything can happen yeah, that's why I I feel uh, looking back 25 years ago, it's easy to start from zero. <laughs> <laughs> and because you just, uh, I strongly believe at that point when I started the business is that there is a demand. There are people who need this. And I feel that I can help this group of people and provide them with a solution. So, and it, it proved to be the, uh, the, the, uh, the case. And clients repeat to come back and refer clients to friends and family. So, so if you have a business like that, then you should keep it going. And but I just feel that sometimes there are there's no best time to come in or worst time to do business. Like I started in I think nineteen ninety seven. That was a recession time. Yeah. And people say, why why do you do it at this time? Uh, even when I was going away too, people say, why do you want to go away with a good salary? You come back with uncertainty, you know, all sort of thing. But I think the strong um, belief and that I have the knowledge myself. I'm I'm not depending, say I'm not opening a restaurant depending on the chef. Then if the chef leaves, I die. So I 
started the business because I'm the trichologist trained, so I have the knowledge and I know how to do everything myself. So if nobody with me, I can still function as a one-man show. Yeah, so it's just not something that people can take away from me. Lah. And even if my all my staff leave, uh, or my client will still return because they don't have the products that I have. Yeah, so... So for me, it's something which can continue to sustain whether I want to grow really big or I want to keep it very niche. So that's the next decision that they have to make. Mm. Yeah, but, but then I think with uncertain time, is you got to just hold the fork there and survive right through. And then when the good time comes, sometimes when there are certain times when maybe economy was doing so well, everybody was having that mind to spend money because you, you money is coming in, bonuses coming in, you know. So they always uh, buy themselves a package of treatment uh, during Christmas time. It's a gift to themselves, happy, and all the bankers, everybody doing well. Huh? So then you have businesses that just run by itself. You're like, huh, why? Huh? For a few years, that right. But then you see the cycle that then their spirits start to be a bit low already. Yeah. So, yeah, I... I don't know. Sometimes people say, is this the right time to start business? Bad time is good that you get the space that you want and then you can negotiate the right kind of like rental that you want. Um, but you got to be familiar with the business that you want to do. Yeah. Because I remember my younger sister, she was like, in, wanted to maybe do a bit of business. So at that time, bubble tea is <laughs> looming. And I think... Uh, franchise fee for bubble tea with a good brand is 100,000 kind of thing. Oh. It's that kind of booming time. Uh. Yeah. Everybody queuing for bubble tea. So they have a bit of money. Then they say they want to do some uh, bubble tea business. And I say, mm, my advice to her is that why don't you go and work for a bubble tea shop first? You know the process. <laughs> then you do. Then it's better. Um, but I don't know. She didn't. Uh, so she start straight away start uh, okay, small uh, business in the HDB area, and they. I think it's not difficult to do bubble tea. Oh. You go <laughs> online, you get all the whatever Recipes. recipe yeah, you can do. But um, how much you got to prepare because these are perishable. If you can't sell, you throw away, and then it's your cost. And then how to run it, and and what price to set the market kind of thing lah. For me, I I don't know. I'm lucky maybe lah. I just do my business and it seemed to do okay. So so she got so stressed at maybe six months, nine months later and then having to try and sell away the business or get somebody to took over the lease because your commitment, the commercial thing is your commitment with the lease is ongoing until, you know, the next person. So, yeah. So I think so that you running a business is something you personally have to know how to, yeah, yeah, familiar with lah. I think you downplay a lot of your <laughs> yeah. hard work, you know, and I guess business acumen. Mm. Because I, I always hear you say, oh, you know, I was lucky or yeah, I'm just a drifter. Um, it's very interesting. Eh? Like, like, why do you feel like you are... Do you feel like you this success is something that you got because you're lucky? I, I, but I think really um, there's certain element of luck oh, that... that um, or maybe a certain kind of personality that is fit into a certain trait. Lah. 
So for me personally is I like to see people happy and then when I I can only sell you something which I believe in. So personally, I have to use it and believing in it. Then I can say, yes, this is good. Please try. So uh, lucky in the sense of I'm, I managed to get the brand that I wanted to work with, which is a very high quality, very good product that really shows re- results. And I, during that time working with the franchise, I built a certain rapport or, or credibility with my clients. So they trust me that if I say, switch to this one, it's just as good. I guarantee it kind. Then, so so they are able to help me transit into my own branding because it's like, what? This brand never heard of. It's amateur or, you know, something that, are you sure is as good as international brand kind? So, so luck in the sense of, yeah, I feel uh, how I managed to uh, secure products uh, that has got a certain uh, reputation like for ASOP as well. I'm an individual, I'm not a big company and they actually say, okay, uh, i work with you, give you like maybe three years, five years um, to set up the business kind of. So yeah, so maybe uh, hard work, yes, definitely. I mean, all businesses, owner, business owner will go through. You really have to uh, constantly thinking of how to get people to know you mm. and how to convince that your product actually is good and to step into your place to try. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I know the initial maybe seven years, yeah, they were sleepless <laughs> night. The, the brain just won't stop, you know. It just, yeah. you sleep, but your brain is thinking, 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 what, you know, how, and yeah. So, yeah. So, Leonica, we have a tradition on this podcast where we get the previous guests to write a question on a piece of paper that you see in front of you. Uh-huh. Uh, we've never seen it. Me and mm. Anna has never seen it. Okay. Uh, so the tradition is for you to uh, pick up that piece of paper, read it out loud, the question, and answer the question. Okay. Yeah. If you have a billboard and could send a message to millions of people, what would it say? Wow. Take care of your scalp. Yeah, I always tell people that. And then people actually ask me, I I did a small little uh, reel, the IG reel. And um, just a very short say, uh, keeping your scalp clean can help prevent uh, excessive hair fall fall from COVID because I did have COVID. And then, yeah, I have a lot of feedback from clients that they experience very bad hair fall after mm. COVID. So so I did this very small uh, short uh, reels to say that keep your scalp clean, you will really help to uh, prevent heavy hair fall. And then I've got people asking me how, you know, yeah. So it's like, use my shampoo. <laughs> That's my strong belief. That is something that is like, I really feel it makes a difference, yeah. So I would say, use my shampoo. <laughs> Thank you thank so you. much, Lenica, for your time. Thank you. I want to thank our sponsor for this season, Leonica K Trichology. I've been to one treatment and it's one of the best pampering sessions I've had. 
The hair massage is divine and the products are formulated by Leonica herself who has over two decades of experience in trichology. If you're looking for a solution to your hair problems, whether it's an oily scalp, postpartum hair loss or dry hair, or just want to treat yourself to self-care, I highly recommend Leonica K. The boutique is at Vocal Hotel and you can check them out at leonicak.com. The link is also in the show notes.